Oh, I had some of the best days laughing with you and <laughs> not even laughing with you, even just being there with you. So, yeah, you honestly, know. it was... Time spent with you was just time well spent. It was... Yeah. I would have paid Channel 7. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I say that on the podcast? <laughs> I'm still recording. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that could be your little clip from the start. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Julian Jones Was Live in the 90s. You know, sometimes in Australia, we score some fantastic comedians from them touring Australian comedic circuit, and they chose to stay in our gorgeous country. But then touring can also lead us into losing some incredible talent overseas either usually the UK or America. Now my next guest is a phenomenal comedian now living in the UK. I personally felt the loss as I was graced by her presence at work regularly. Now this is one of the, the many quotes I've read. This is from the Herald Sun in Melbourne. A, perform, a performer with a beguiling, expressive face her slightly ingenious persona has the rare quality of making the audience want to laugh with her, one of Melbourne's most talented comedians. And as described by a contestant on Channel 7's All-Star All Squares, the delectable Kim Hope. Kim, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Julian. It's, a, it's, a, it's an honour just to be nominated. Uh, wow. <laughs> It, you wow. look, absolutely. Um, for me, I mean, so many of my guests are, are personal to me, especially at this early stage in the podcast. I'm calling upon people mm. that mean so much to me and have meant so much to me. And, I mean, we just had such a great time at work, yeah? Yeah, we did. And I, I was so thrilled like, to when you asked me to be on your podcast because I am an avid listener and subscriber and <laughs> it seemed like just a little dream. Oh, wouldn't that be great? And then you asked me, I was like, oh, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> but we had so much fun. I remember we met in, gosh, did we establish we met in 1996 at the last laugh for a kind of comedy stand-up show they were filming and you did my hair and makeup and yep. I just, I thought, who is this gorgeous boy? Aww. And then... I think we might have seen each other in a couple of things, but it was in 1999. Oh, yeah, we partied. <laughs> uh, when I was on All Star Squares and I walked into, or as I like to call it, uh, eight famous people and that person nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Hello, my name's Kim Hope. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, there you were in the makeup room. And I know that Christine Basil says so. This is my time to shine. So just get back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Christine Basil says, Christine Basil said it in her uh, episode. She mentioned that like there's a cue for you at up front when the ABC film up front and you do the makeup. And every time I would see you, I would just go, "You're mine," and <laughs> you never started showing. <laughs> well, yeah. it, I mean, it was so special to me all of that because, it, as I was saying to Christine, I mean, I worked with so many of you on so many different other projects and closely. And, you know, but you and I did, we bantered extra more than, more so than I did with a lot of other talents. We really did have a laugh. We had such, we had such a good time. We had, oh, it was, honestly, that was just a time in my life where I had to pinch myself over and over again because I couldn't yeah. believe this was happening to me. <laughs> yeah. And the, the best, the best boy in the biz was doing the hair and makeup and, you know, just, I'd shut my, I'd open my eyes in, sitting in front of the mirror, look at myself and go, and there's, uh, there's Kim Hope. And I'd shut my eyes and you would work your magic and I'd open my eyes and go, oh, wow, there's Kim Hope. <laughs> <laughs> so true though. You know, because I, I read somewhere in, in all of these uh, write-ups of you and I've got to tell the audience, hey, research Kim, look up her bio because honestly, um, I'd probably take the whole podcast just talking about what I, what, I, uh, what I read. But one of them was saying, 
Amazonian glamour girl or something on stage. And I'm like, yeah, that about sums her up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but who gets a write-up? You got a write-up with, um, who was it? Um, Mary Claire or somewhere, somebody like that. And I'm like, who gets that? No one gets those sort of... Oh, that's right. Did they, they came and filmed, they came and did an article on an upfront one year. Yes. And took photos and stuff. Yeah, that was... Oh, look. It wasn't Mary Claire, Marie Claire, though. I'll find out who it is. They're in my notes here somewhere as as we go down. It was such... Yeah. It was, it was such an amazing time for for comedy and for... Like, for, there were a lot of females coming through and... Elle magazine. It was one of those times... Elle magazine, was it? Yeah. Oh. Continue. It was oh, one wow. of those times... Just where... You know, there was more like a lot of female comedians were breaking through, and and that's why Upfront became was set up. I think by Linda McIlwain and Janet A. McLeod, I believe the yeah. initial one, yeah. and just to give all these incredible female performers uh, a platform, and um, and then the comedy festival co-produced it and now I think it's a full comedy festival production but and it was just showcasing these incredible women and now I think they're at a point where it's like you know you can't get all of the amazing female performance on that stage for one night it would need to be a series of nights because there's just so many incredible female voices out there now in Australia and and over here like it's Mm. just there's such a wealth of talent now. Yeah. And I think maybe I got, uh, because there were a few of us, maybe that's why I got to do so many delicious and wonderful things. And that you she did. She said underselling herself slightly. <laughs> well, yeah. And, but you did. I mean, um, All Stars <laughs> Squares had a full lineup, like Rhonda Birchmore, um, Gosh, who else was on that? There was, look, there was... Vicar and Linda were on it once. They shared a square. I thought that was uh, unfair for them. But, yeah, they... uh, Who else was on that? Portia de Rossi was on one week. Yes, Um, I remember that. Al from Neighbours, Raymar. I mean, Raymar, I'm just... Not... Home and away, sorry. He was... It was just... Honestly, I was just getting to meet all these amazing people because Kathy Baker... Um, Principal Skinner, uh, the name oh. of the producer was, was it David Skinner? Principal Skinner, we used to call him, and Kathy Baker I took lo- a chance on me. And the incredible Kathy Baker, who now has her own talent agency. They're unbelievable it's- humans, and they're still around doing their thing. Principal, oh. Principal Tony Skinner. Um, Tony Skinner, <laughs> yes. thank you. And uh, I COVID mean, brain, I blame COVID. He, that's all right. Yeah, well, I haven't explained to the audience yet that Kim is actually recovering from COVID and she does have that brain fog at the moment, so we'll make that clear right now. But Tony Skinner, I mean, mm. <clears throat> for a producer, he was one of the first producers that I fell in love with, as professionally, I mean. You know, mm. he was so um, personable and he really got the talent and, and he selected people like you quite Mm. clearly to do things and I I really enjoyed his selection of people and the way he worked and I continued to work for Tony Skinner um at Channel 9 and then Neighbours and like he just went Mm. on to do so many things Kim so and you were you were one of the chosen ones (laughs) thank you he was a mensch he was totally yeah, I, I must admit I had a work crush on him as well. But I had a work crush on everybody from the reception people at Channel 7 upwards. I adored that job. Oh, my God, Toddy Coldsmith, yes. Kim Smith, Michael Caton. Yes. We were, the, we were the regulars. I mean, I'm just like, what am I doing here? Yeah. I'm loving it. I'm going to fake it till I make it. <laughs> hey, well, I don't know if you've <clears throat> checked YouTube, but there's two or three full episodes on YouTube. Wow. And so I wa- oh. I watched them all and I'll um I've got some questions for you about that later. But Okay. But honestly, 
it's been such a ride for you and you have this charm about you but let's let's go back to the opening title that i read out from the herald sun melbourne beguilingly Mm -hmm. the meaning of beguilingly is charming or enchanting often in a deceptive way Mm, I was beguiling them. You were beguiling mm. them. So, and I have noticed that with your routines, though, you do have this really, like, it's like you're you're telling this story, right, and we're all on board mm. and we're heading in this certain direction and you go, but stop, and you take us, you've deceived us and you take us on this other whole new route and then you deliver your punchline and I'm like, what? Uh, uh. You have a wonderful way of doing that, honey. I really enjoy it. Oh, thank you, Julian. It's just telling stories, though, isn't it? And telling stories, you know, so we're all storytellers. Every single one of us yeah. love to tell a story. Yeah. And it, it's just kind of, it, it's putting yourself into that story. It's like doing it in your way because we, there are formulas to stand up and there are, you know, processes and, you know, rules of three and, and, how you surprise people, but you put yourself into it and kind of, yeah, and I think I used my personality in a way to distract people from perhaps what I was going to say that might be a bit um, more well, brutal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, sometimes noir, like there was a, a quote that calls me noir once and I was like oh that's nice and you know and when people are inclined they just called me bitchy but I don't know I would do it's quite I would do anything for a laugh yeah pretty much anything and uh were you purposely bitchy at times like were you bitchy I I think there was oh look I'm you know I I think when I worked with uh, another comedian mm. that gave me permission to be camp and I thought I was being camp. Adam Richard? Yes, Adam Richard, the fabulous, the one, the yes. only Adam Richard. Great. Oh. That was a great yes. show. Yeah. We just really loved working together. I, he, it was funny because after I moved here, to the UK, I realised just how working with him had allowed me to be myself on stage more and it took me quite some time to re-establish that stage persona that I had freely with him because he was my audience on stage, if that makes sense. I had complete, like, whereas to go on there, uh, it takes a bit of courage to kind of go on there and stage and be that person and just have to get the audience's approval. I don't know if that makes any sense. It but does. Of course it does. Very he great. let me fly, basically. Mm. He, he really did give me permission to fly. Ah. Oh, he was a sweetheart. And he's a sweetheart. And he's, he's an absolute gem, and I adore the man to his very bones. Well, I do have this incredible vision of me being on a dance floor as a young man and looking up one day and seeing you and Adam standing in the audience on the sideline watching all the people dancing. There's you and Adam and you're sort of scanning the, the room and you're like, oh, my God, hi. And mm. eyes bulging because, you know, 90% of the men had their shirts off. Um, and look, you know, <laughs> I'm just like a, a dog looking at gorgeous cars. I can admire them, but I'd never be able to drive one, you know. Uh, that's, that's not so true, Looking though. at these beautiful boys without their shirts on in a potentially gay nightclub, you know. Yeah. Oh, There's a lot of bisexual delicious. men there too, Kim. So, uh, you well, know. now you tell me, Julian. <laughs> it's a bit late. <laughs> And there's also a lot of straight men at those events because there's brothers of gay people and um, uncles of gay people and dads and cousins all coming to party with them and celebrate who they were as well. And a lot of my girlfriends met their husbands in gay bars, you know, and they were Really? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. And some of them them are still together. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, you know. I that's amazing because I think I just loved I love and um, still do like love the gay thing because you can just it's for me there was no thought of okay, the male gaze in a heterosexual way. It was only the male gaze in a homosexual way, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's like the only male gaze I cared about were those with their shirts off on the dance floor. <laughs> well, the, uh, you'll be surprised. As a, as a gay male in your audience, it's and, and you being a performer, it's mm. inevitable that you have a clear understanding of our lifestyle as throughout your performance and there's a few oh there's a few women and a couple of guys that deliver mm. comedy and they have a knowing and or they have an interest or or they are curious and it comes out in their routines and so as a as a um I'll, I'll say as a voice for the LBGTQI community your yeah. humor is is so delectable because you are so camp so often in your routines <laughs> You know, you do pout a bit. And yeah. you, you have exorbitant cheekbones and a great smile. <laughs> and you just are camp. I love that this I love that this isn't a video call, so I can take all that trade. <laughs> <laughs> I put my hand gently under my double chin. <laughs> it's like it's like you're the Kylie Minogue of 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 comedy is a really great way of putting it. Because Kylie clearly wow, but- understands the gay audience. That is way too much praise, and I'm going to have to take that crown off and just pop it to one side and admire it. Thank you for the compliment, however. Oh, it comes with a medal, so remind you and put it on your mantle at home or in the locked <laughs> bedroom of your rental, wherever you are. <laughs> but, yeah, for sure. Um, I swear, but, look, when you tell me that you studied at the Victorian College of the Arts and you studied drama, I'm like, oh, there you go. There's that. Ah. There's there's part of the magic in that. Um. So, did you go there straight after school? I auditioned straight after school, mm. but didn't get in. Yeah. I auditioned for the VCA and for NIDA. Yeah. And then I think I went and had some life experience, which I desperately needed, and then auditioned again three years later. And that was when, because I moved from Brisbane to Sydney and auditioned again from Sydney three years later. And that was when I got in. Wow. Yeah. I think I just, oh, because I'd auditioned for NIDA and didn't get through to the first round. It didn't get past the first round. Yeah. But so when it came to the VCA audition, I had much more fun with the Shakespeare aspect of it and played around with that because I do love Shakespeare. Thespian, thespian of you. Uh, yes, indeed. Mm. And I, and I, there was an improvised bit at the end, but I just kind of threw it away because I didn't think I would get in. I thought, well, I didn't get into this night, so I won't get into VCA. And I think that caring less made me much um, less nervous mm. because I cared, and I do go into that cycle of caring so much what people think of me yeah and that i that wanting to be liked so desperately that i actually what's the word where you sabotage oh. i actually sabotage myself totally understand mate yeah it's... i have what is known as an ism which stands for i sabotage myself oh, oh I... imposter syndrome it's a big one wow you know, and I remember in my first year at VCA hearing another actor in my course talk about imposter syndrome and say he's waiting to be found out. Yeah. And I went, oh, my goodness, me too. Because mm-hmm. what I did at the audition for yeah. the improvised thing that was so bold, yeah. so bold, um, I thought that's the only reason I got in. That's the only reason I got in because I did that. And then I spent, I honestly got to the first year of VCA and they they threw me out because I had no confidence. Wow. Yeah, because you're on pro- – I didn't know I was on probation. I wasn't on probation at the end of my first semester, but they threw me out at the end of the first year. But I thought 
I appealed, did an informal appeal, appeal and then a, a formal appeal and then got back in. Oh. And they were like, see, this is the confidence we're looking for, the woman who stands up for herself. Wow. And I was just like, it's, but yeah, I, and, and I learned at DCA somebody, it was our dance teacher, I think, said, fake it till you make it. Yeah. And it's such a good, but yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking, they'll find me out. I can't act. I can't do this. I can't do that. I got in on a trick. Mm. So when I got out of drama school and then like did a few auditions, I did an episode of Neighbours because I think it's mandatory, isn't it? They don't, they take your equity membership away if you don't do an episode of Neighbours. <laughs> yeah, mm. pretty much. And I was Amorous Cheryl, and that one's available Cheryl? on YouTube as well. I'm particularly proud of that. Amorous Cheryl, I think you'll find Julian Jones. <laughs> Amorous Cheryl, two words. I had a first name and a last name. <laughs> what was the last name <laughs> and again? Cheryl. So the first name, Amorous. Oh, mm. Amorous Cheryl. I'll send you the link. Please. I found it on YouTube and <laughs> sent it to me. <laughs> Please do. Yep. I'll enjoy so that. And I was, I, I'd gone from playing like in my last year at VCA, I think I went, I played an 80 year old woman in one play, a 60 year old woman in two plays, and then a 40 year old woman in my final play. And then I went to play somebody my own age who was a flirt when I was on Neighbours and I went, who'd have sunk it? <laughs> but, um, How difficult. It was brilliant. Yeah. It was brilliant. Oh, good and on you. then, but yeah, what, sorry, what was I say? Oh, yeah, I kind of, Went around the traps for a while trying to get acting work and I just didn't fit in because I'm quite tall and I'm quite big. And um, if, you know, unless they wanted somebody on Home and Away who, to play the woman who ate Summer Bay, I really wasn't going to get cast in that. And so I started doing stand-up and that was where I found that freedom to just be the person it's a weird, yeah. So it's been, but I, I, I know that it, like drama school was kind of was, VCA was your dream. I thought you, I think I heard you say on one of your podcasts you wanted to go to VCA. Oh yeah, VCA on Ida for sure. Mm. I, I grew up act, I, acting on stage and uh, from the age of ten, and I would recite mm. all the other actors' lines to them because they couldn't remember them. Oh my. And <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I would do it like. During the performance, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone would be laughing in the audience. Yeah, ten, ten years old. They'd have, to take, they'd have to turn you around to face the wall because your lips were just moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you face away from the first fourth wall, please, I, Julian? I yeah. actually started doing that though because I, because of the audience were laughing so hard, oh. I had to make it more subtle and just go. That blah, 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 oh, you know, on the side. So funny, little man. Little baby prompt. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. And I, I so wanted to be a, um opera singer on stage, so I, I, I auditioned for all the musicals and got roles and sang. Yeah. Loved it. But, yeah, I never really continued to pursue it. In my, in my world, honey, like my whole family, mm. both sides came from very famous opera singers. And mm. and so w those relatives told all their children, "Don't let your kids ever be in um, on stage in show business because it's oh. it's not a healthy world." And so, which is not exactly true these days. I mean, you know, mm. with the me too me too movement and with the way we've developed as humans and what we what's acceptable and what's unacceptable now in the workplace things have mm. things have dramatically changed but so if i i went home going i want to be in i want to go to nida no you're not you're absolutely not going to nida so i never did it and way behold oh, wow. become a makeup artist and ended up working in the media anyway so what made you go into it? Because I've just I've got my laptop open and I can see the Persian Nightingale, which is the the book that you've yes. written about uh, your uh, my great 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 grandmother. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, look at you doing research. What an exceptional woman you sent it to me. Oh, that was yes, I, I did send that to you during yeah. lockdown. I was going into I was out in the countryside and I was trying to write and trying to find inspiration and you sent me that book very kindly Thanks. to read just to kind of get a little spark and it was just such a 
brilliant, incredible story. About a powerful woman, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So you've got it in your blood. So what made you go to makeup? Well, I remember watching Neighbours once and seeing Kylie and Jason on camera and thinking mm. and looking at Kylie's hair going, I think I could do hairdressing, you know. I, that would interest oh. me. So I went and got a, um, an apprenticeship at a really great hairdressing salon, um, mm. PDF in South Yarra. And uh, and they taught me how to cut hair, like, freestyle. I'm like, I'm loving this. And my sister was working for Clinique and they were looking for a male makeup artist. So I went for the job and got it. So I was doing mm. hair apprenticeship and makeup for Clinique. Next thing you know, by the time I'm 19, I'm earning 100 bucks an hour as a makeup artist. Mm. Mm. And I was studying nursing. And I left nursing because I'm like, I'm never going to get – nursing's like $27 an hour. So I'm going to be a makeup artist and earn 100 bucks an hour and go and work mm. in the biz. And here I am. Thank you for asking. Oh, my goodness. See, I love that journey. Mm. I love that how we find our different ways through life because mm-hmm. I think I had this idea that life is linear. Uh Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you don't need to. I already have. <laughs> and because <laughs> I thought, like, all stuff words would lead to this, would lead to that, would lead to that, would lead to that, and I'd mm. wake up one day and I'd be Julia Morris, you know. Yeah. And it's who is an exceptional woman and has had her own incredible journey. Totally. Um, but it's it's not linear. It's it's that spiraling around. It's that going off on one path and then going back to another and I got really because I've been in the woods over here for some time like I many mm, yeah have a look at my CV if you if you know you you were interested dear mm. listener yes however I it didn't it. it didn't follow that trajectory over here mm. and I have tried like I I work I work in a theatre now yes and wanted to do something that wasn't stand up because I got incredibly ill right and incredibly tired and I wanted to do something that wasn't stand up and discovered that there was something missing from my life by not doing it and I was listening to your podcast the incredible Joe O'Shaughnessy yes the director, director. yes and she said and I wrote it down. The thing about creators is, is you need an outlet. It's part of you you cannot ignore. Even if you think you can go and do a nine-to-five job, chances are you can, but your soul will suffer for it. Yep. And I was like, that makes so much sense of where I'm at now, which is back doing stand-up and just feeling exhausted. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm going, I work and I'll go in and do gigs and but so fulfilled again. Like it was something that I thought this isn't good for me and I'm, I'm, I'm so shredding myself apart with imposter syndrome, with thinking I'm not relevant, with all of the things. Oh, my gosh. But I, it's going back on stage and having – feeling like myself again. It's, and actually kind of coming back renewed and rebooted because I think making a living out of stand-up over here was – very exhausting. Yeah. And kind of sapped my joy out of it for a bit. Not because of anything other than who I am as a person. Yep. But now I'm doing it again because I love it and I enjoy it. And I do think that my experience gives me something that is perhaps a unique selling point now because people go, oh, stand up, it's a young person's game. And there are incredible, incredible young people with ideas that I sit there, jaw open going, what made you think of that? (laughs) (laughs) And like doubling over with laughter. I've got a friend tonight who's competing in a competition. She's in the grand final of a competition and I'm going to see her. Uh, Talian Fellows, look out for that name. And honestly... When I saw her for the first time, I was bent over double crying into my Diet Coke. She's <laughs> just like, whatever the heck? It's, but it's that joy 
of coming back to it and not looking at her and going, because I think there was a bit of that when I first started. There was a, if a new female comedian walked onto the stage, of course, I'd go around to the front. Um, I'm thinking of the Esplanade Hotel, Esty Sundays, and there'd be an amazing new female comic on stage. And, you know, I'd get a bit of a nudge and like, oh, you come to watch the competition. And I'm like, we're not competition for each other. Mm. We're not. And... But there was a kind of, uh, as my friend CL has once has said, there was a Highlander syndrome around female comics for a while in that there can be only one. Yeah, right. And there was a thing of, oh, you're the next Judith Lucy and, you know, Judith Lucy is phenomenal, but it was, it's, oh, okay, you've got to be the next Judith Lucy or nothing. And what I loved is as I moved through stand-up, I just watched more women coming in and more women supporting each other. And now that is my drive. Like, I I know how funny women are. I know yeah. how much we make each other laugh just yeah. around, you know. Yeah. So I, I love being there for my friends, my female friends who want to do stand-up or want to do anything in the arts or want to do anything full stop. Yeah. Because I feel like we just, there's a little bit of, there was a little bit of marginalization when we came and um, divide and conquer, you know, mm. when we, when I was first coming through. Yeah. And it's not, it's, I, I never want to see that happen again. Sorry, I went off on one and I do apologize no, again. I'm I loved it. it. It was really, it was great to hear because, you know, as a makeup artist, as, as you well know, most most of the time that I spend working is on female artists, and mm. and for like about I don't know, fifteen years there, a majority of them were either models or comedians. Get that, you know, mm. completely mm. the opposite, but yet the same, still doing art. Mm. But you know, mm. I saw and felt and heard the essence of each and every one of you, and I was blessed mm. to be a part of that. Oh, it changed. Yeah. It influenced my life every day. It made me. Um, I always loved women. My mother taught me to respect women. She taught me about women. She taught me about women's bodies. She taught me about women's minds. Um, but I never really worked with funny women before. Like mm. really, that that was their gig. That was what they aspired to. Mm. That's what they wanted to do really well. And here you were, and I was just crying with laughter at work all day with you and Christine Basil. And oh, yeah. You name I it. mean, we did have such a laugh. The, the bond that's kind of, that bond that we had as soon as, with All Star Squares, because we we filmed one day a week. We did the five shows in one day. We did. So we were just full on. Yeah. And I think... I don't know who else you had in your chair, but you got you got my size fourteen <laughs> sat right down there as soon as I, I got in. <laughs> I, th I think it and became a, uh, aware that we preferred to be with each other. So continue, sorry. Yes, oh, we did, and I remember you being really sensitive about the other makeup artists saying, "Oh, you know, I don't." You were just trying. You were you were so trying not to offend anyone or have me show favoritism to you. Yeah. Because you didn't want to like, you know, put anyone's nose out of joint. Yeah. But definitely. I think, you know, it took a lot to get this kind of really strange hair to behave. So I think the girls were quite like, oh thank God, Julian's got it <laughs> by the end. And she never shuts up. You can't put lipstick on it. Because it's always talking. <laughs> you and me both though. We were you know, yeah. No, I, guess so. I would love sitting there between camera breaks and suddenly I just you'd just appear next to me and you'd be combing, trying to comb down my flyaways because I always have those little halo of flyaways. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you'd be there and I'd be like, oh, this is the best. Touch me. Touch yeah, me. I'm I, real. <laughs> I remember. I loved it. And I used to sometimes have to walk upstairs and squat down in your little box that you were sitting in and try and do it all like hunched over. <laughs> But you know, yeah, it, I know. I loved that set. How amazing was that set? People thought Incredible. that we were digitally put together, and I'm like, no, nah, there's four boxes. Yeah. There's four boxes, and there's nine, nine boxes. Yeah. No, yeah, nine boxes. Yeah, good. And we Sorry, were walking. Yeah, I know. And we were walking up 
little steps to get to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, no right. accidents. No. And I remember, oh, my God, my hero, Deborah Hutton, was on there. Oh, oh God. Oh, my God. Stop it now. I so much. She is absolutely gorgeous and fantastic to make up. One of my favourites to make oh. up. Yep. There is no time she will never not be gorgeous and fantastic. Oh, and I, yeah. used to, I, I remember I just roll into her square all the time on my desk. She was the centre square, and I was off to one side of her, and I just like lean. In. How can you not? She had it. She was she, such a, like she radiates. Go. Yeah, she does. I know. That's what I said. I was being drawn to her. It wasn't my fault. Yep. She just drew me to her like a moth to a flame. Yes. Like a, a magnet, she. Oh, it was so much fun. I made anyway. her. I made her up once at Channel Nine, and and the words of an angel came out of her. She goes, "Where have you been all my life?" And I'm like, "No, are you kidding?" <laughs> yeah, so I haven't haven't made her up much since. But wow, yeah, I hear you. Um, what a girl! What a girl! Yeah. And what so many what a girl moments that we've had in this business. Mm. So when you yeah. when you heard Christine's voice on Christine Basil's voice on the podcast, what did that do to your tummy? Oh, <laughs> just... it, it was so delicious yeah. hearing because I couldn't, I was so excited that you had a podcast because I thought I can catch up. This is great. <laughs> yeah. And I also, and then when I saw your first guest was Christine, I was like, this is just like, I'm just going to hang out with my friends and listen. And I, you know, I was welling up a bit. Christine was talking about Dave Grant and you were talking, you both mentioned Dave Grant. And I was like, oh. But when I started comedy, um, I was there with a friend of mine called Christine at the Star and Data. And I just thought I'd go and check it out. And I had a gig booked like in a couple of weeks or something. And Christine Basil was on the stage. And my friend Chrissy turned to me and said, you need to be friends with her. Oh. That was it. She just got it. And Christine could not have been more helpful. She was so helpful. She has come to my house and helped me write jokes. I mean, you too have come to my house on several, or my flat on several occasions to do my hair and makeup and to drink a few bottles of champagne. <laughs> and you fitted me out with a makeup kit, some of which I still have. I should probably should bin it, but it reminds me of you. Oh, thanks. And I've just, you know, like I've, uh, it's the being in the comedy industry has been such a blessing, but you are just an absolute treat. So, hearing the two of you speak, hearing the two of you speak about Dave Grant, because Dave Grant also was such a driving force in my life. Once mm. I did a gig at the Star and Data, I think, or at the, oh, I can't remember, another, there was another gig in South Yarra, I used to do regularly. And um, I died. On my behind, I totally flatlined and I left immediately after, as you do. Yes. Um, and because you, you know, just don't want to get that stench on anyone else because I thought that was the end. That was the end. And I don't know how he did it, but Dave Grant, this is in the days before mobile, Dave Grant found my number and called my house and spoke to me and was so encouraging, and for Dave Grant, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I felt such acute shame at the gig was because Dave Grant had seen me die. Yeah. Like, absolutely stink the room up, open all the windows we need to get some air in here kind of vibe. And he was so generous and so kind and so supportive and guiding, and he kept an eye on me for years after that. Yeah. And... Yeah, so uh, brilliant stuff. And Christine, Christine Basil, also the person who told me to get a mobile phone. <laughs> she was like, I was in the line at the bank and my phone rang and I, she goes, if you've got a mobile phone, you will get in, you will get gigs because they can get you straight away. And I'm like, all righty, I'll get me a mobile phone. And they were just like bricks then. Oh, my gosh. Mine had a, I had a Motorola flare. It had a nine-hour battery. Thank you for playing. And that thing was massive. Honestly, I had an amazing bicep in my right arm and my left arm. Yeah. It's like spaghetti because I was always holding that thing to my ear. Yeah. I mean, getting a mobile phone was like getting your first Facebook account for young people oh. these days. For us, it was like, mm -hmm. and it did. It, it tripled our business very quickly, yeah. 
It was so amazing. Look, mm. I remember when text was called SMS, you had to go to your um, provider, your service provider. <laughs> mine was Optus. Yes. Yes, mine too. I had to call Optus and ask them to allow SMS on my phone. So you, it was not something that came automatically. You had, And you could only text other people on the same network as you. Uh, I was sitting in your hair and makeup chair on all star squares messaging my sister and she said, how did you learn to do this? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> can I just say, I knew Jesus before he was a superstar. Thanks for playing. <laughs> well, look and speak. And it, it was like that. And was this Tina? Your sister Tina? No, Justine. Justine. My younger sister, Justine, who lived in Melbourne, and she still does, yeah. No, no, not my darling sister, Tina, who you know of, because I did a whole show about her. You did, and I was going to talk to you about that, because to present a show about cancer and turn it into a comedy routine, were you, like, absolutely freaking out when you – were you confident when you first went to stage with that project? I was because – for several reasons. I was lucky enough to get a Moosehead Award, which is a grant that they give to to, to you apply yeah. the year before and um, you get a, if you get your application is successful, yes. you are given this grant or this award to produce your show. So you get all of this help from fabulous people. Adam was dramaturg on my show. He so was that what? helped a friend. He was the dramaturg. So he did a lot of kind of... Um, fact-checking, research, kind of a little bit directory as well. And my and Donna Benjamin, a friend of ours, was my director. So I had support around me. I had publicity. I had producers. I had people flyering. All I needed to do was come up was to work on this show. We did previews. It was incredibly – the support I had to do that show was incredible. And also, it, was, it wasn't a show making fun of cancer by – any stretch of the imagination. No, I wouldn't imagine. It was a show supporting my sister and celebrating my sister, this incredible, vibrant young woman mm. who had been out of the blue, diagnosed with like stage, it was quite advanced, bowel cancer. And she was something like 28 when she first got it. Like, And her journey, what she wanted to do at the end of her chemotherapy was to go to the these different cities in America and sing the songs about them like Viva Las Vegas in Las Vegas, um, I Left My Heart in San Francisco in San Francisco and, you know, culminating in uh, New York, New York at the top of the Empire State Building. And that to me just seemed like the most amazing idea for a documentary. Michelle Wilde, a publicist and promoter and producer and fabulous woman extraordinaire, suggested I submit it for a move hand. When I was in the States, I ran into quite a bit of difficulty because my sister decided she was camera shy and she's well within her rights because <laughs> she's just gotten through extensive surgery, sure. chemotherapy, and now her idiot older sister is pointing a camera at her. <laughs> and um, I remember saying to Adam, it's just, I need to leave her alone. It's not working. And he said, don't get off the train at Redfern. Wow. Stay on until Central, and a cup. And about a week later, I found out I was given the. Um, I was one of the recipients of the Moosehead grant. So, for sing your ass off. The difficulty came. Pardon. For sing, yeah, for sing your ass off. Yes, yeah, yep, that yep. was called sing your ass off. Yeah, which I thought was a hilariously British title. Thank you, because <laughs> 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 she had bowel. Oh, because she had bowel cancer. <laughs> you know. Yeah, sing your ass off. And she wanted to go and sing. Oh, yeah, my gosh. So and so the difficulties, can, with, yeah. Can we find yeah. that anywhere, that, that documentary? Unfortunately yeah. not. It was filmed. Um, there, Mikey Robbins and the delightful people at uh, Good News Week Productions were filming shows during the Melbourne Comedy Festival for a special. Yeah. And they and Mikey was doing interviews. So Mikey and I, I think we had a spa day or something where we talked and did different things. Yeah. And then the, the crew came and filmed the show. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the show 
um, the whole, the bigger show, the larger show mm. that my little show was meant to be part of was never made and they don't have the footage. Oh. I've, I really did pursue it, which was unfortunate because I didn't bother filming it myself because I thought, well, I've got professional three camera, you know, and a full house and, you know, so I don't need to film it myself. And so I never did. And oh. I guess there's something nice about that because that's also what I love about live comedy mm. and live theatre. Mm. It lives in the moment. Yeah. Well, it's living in here today in our conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. really good. And I don't know if this is an appropriate question, but I think a lot of our listeners would want to know: How did Tina go? Is Tina still with us, or did she? Oh pass? my goodness, Tina is. Tina has just won an award as um, she, she's been. She's had so many different paths in her life, different careers. Uh, can sell an ice cube to anyone who lives anywhere cold and doesn't like ice. And she is now, uh, she did a patisserie course and won the award for best students for that, I think, on Thursday night. So (sighs) Tina is incredible. She has a marvellous husband called David and um, Philippe, her daughter, who is 16, 16 years old now. Yeah. She still has health issues because there were a few issues leading on from the surgery and she has a, sure. you know, other health things going on, but she sure. is a fierce warrior. That's and such good news. According to her daughter, the biggest slay. So Police what? loves to call people slay, so Tina is the biggest slay. Oh, I love it. Did you say slay? I know. Slay? Slay, S-L-A-Y. Slay. Yes. You're oh. totally slaying it, you know. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I just I I hear I I know some very young people. Yes, I I was going to say I'm not always okay with that. You know, with um, young people's language because I don't have any kids, but I do work with kids a lot. But um, they they normally speak. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So when you do commercials, there's always. You know, oh, commercials, right. Okay, yeah. I thought as well as like being a dog breeder and, a, you know, counsellor <laughs> and a makeup artist extraordinaire, you work with children. Stop <laughs> yeah. it, Julian. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, kids are great, aren't they? They, they remind us of, I mean, if we could only be like them so often in the way we think and process and if mm. only they could be like us so often in the way we think and process. If we could come together in the middle there, which we often do, mm. I, I guess when you have a family you find that middle ground. Um, but, mm. yeah, I don't hear the language so much. When I was when I worked on Neighbours, you know, I heard all the sick stuff and, you know, mm. sick mate and all that. Yeah. But I'm not au okay with it. Maybe there's a whole mate, po- I- podcast on it. Go on. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I used the word daggy to an Irish woman yesterday and she's just like, what? And I had to explain daggy to her. Oh, yeah. I'm like, great. I don't even. And I, so I use all of our old school slang. I like a bit of, I like grouse. I like, uh, you know, nice. wouldn't be dead for quids. Yeah. I like daggy. But to explain to an Irish person, okay, so daggy, oh, a dag is somebody who's kind of a bit, you know, Dowdy and da da da. I said, no, what it used to mean was this. And I said, Dowdy. And, and she got all offended. And I went, could I please finish my sentence? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but now it's kind of like, it's kind of charming and, you know, scruffy hair, kind of, you want to rub their head and go, no, you dag, you know. Yeah. It's sometimes so hard to explain vernacular and slang to people who don't, because it, it's just one word that encompasses so much. Yeah, like you, like you can say daggy, and you can also say, "Oh, you dag." Mm. Are you are you struggling with the um the Aussie slang in the UK? Do they understand you? Look, I've learned, Julian, to change my voice so I can be heard and understood by the Brits. Yes, hello, you've called the Savoy Theatre. How can I help you? And I, it's funny because I do work um, part-time at the Savoy Theatre and uh, at the stage door. So 
So basically, I'm just a receptionist in jeans sometimes. <laughs> and I do. I love it. So I can be understood by people calling in, go, Good afternoon, Savoy Theatre, stage door. And I have people go, Oh, hi, my name's Delta. I'm in the cast. And I'm like, Yeah, it's me. What are you? Oh, I didn't recognize your voice. <laughs> Like, what are you on about? Why, you Yeah. Uh, what about when the Australians, I'm, when the Australians walk in and that voice, do you, do you, can you hear it real fast that they're an Aussie in the audience or coming? I can. I can sometimes, but because there are so many accents here, like sure, so many accents. I remember being at once because I started working at that thirty years ago as an usher, because I just wanted a part-time job. I just wanted a job. Um, and I was in the dressing room, and it was like the United Nations. It's like there's people from uh, there was people from Morocco, uh, Senegal, France, Russia, Spain, Italy, all. Yeah, there was a Scottish girl. There was just. So I hear so many accents that every now and then when I hear an Australian accent, I have to go, is that a Plus, I listen to so many Australian podcasts. So <laughs> I, my, I, 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 I don't, yeah, I'm not having any, they don't, I, I can pick it up, but they hear me. It's when they hear me, they uh, go, yes. oh, where are you? I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. But yeah, yeah, after a while. I, I Worked in China for a little bit, and I remember I was walking through the main square in China, Nanjing Road, and mm. this random person just walked up to me and went, are you from Melbourne, Australia, like St Kilda? <laughs> <laughs> and I lived in Elwood at the time, and I'm like, how can you even tell? Like, we haven't even spoken. Oh he goes, oh, you're in all black. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Melbourne. I'm like, Okay. Do you know, on the radio the other uh, – not on the radio, on TV the other day, Kim, and I wanted to throw this at you because of because of your English now background, inclusive with your mm. Aussie background, that is it – the question was posed, is it acceptable to say mate to a woman? Oh. G'day, mate. A lot of people. I know two girls, their names are both Emma, and they both call me mate. Hi, mate. Hi, mate. Yeah. Hey, mate. Yeah. Mm. Is, is this a bone of contention at the moment? Am I going to be cancelled? Too late. I'm really good at cancelling myself, people. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, you have to be loud to get over the voices in my head. <laughs> I think I love the voices in your head and I love the, the <laughs> conversations that they have out loud in front of me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. No, well, I, I figured that I put it down to... Um, in context, if I guess if you knew someone mm -hmm. enough, like if I saw you and went, hi, mate, I mean, mm. yeah. But I think if you didn't know them, maybe not, unless you were having a really chirpy, friendly moment with that person. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. It's, mm. it's kind of, um, it's Familiar. too, in, is it because it's too informal and not respectful enough? Yeah, I think that was the. At risk, do you res oh. is it respectful towards a woman to call her mate? Yeah, mate. Um, nice to meet you, mate. Um, oh, mate, can you tell me where the post office is? Which you've done once. Yeah. In you did that in England. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. That joke. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to tell it here. Yeah. People, no, people no, can no. look you up. Let people find it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and cancel me for it. Um, now, listen. I don't. Gone. Oh, I was just going to say, I guess it's not, it, it, it could be seen as disrespectful um, if you don't, if it's somebody you don't know. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of use anything, if I wanted to ask somebody, I'd be, oh, it's lovely to meet you and leave it there. I wouldn't say, sir, ma'am. Lady, man, mate, friend, buddy, pal. It's kind of like buddy, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like, hey, buddy, you know. So yeah. Um, yes. I think it, it's it's for a friend. I, but I don't I don't think it's disrespectful. No, I don't know. That's just my opinion. And, uh, you know, we've all got opinions. Everybody sees the world 
differently to everyone else. Two years in therapy taught me that. (laughs) And it's the truth. And I tread very lightly when, if I've got a 65 year old woman in front of me, I'm automatically, I'm thinking like I have this visual of her 65 years of her life, what she's been through, what she's experienced, where she's at, Mm. what she's got coming what happened to her today? So I'm I'm actually quite careful about the way I wouldn't say get mate to her. Yeah. I would say excuse no. me, um, yeah, and thank you. I don't know, mm. but, but it's an interesting because you, uh, you called me mate earlier. You, I don't know if you even oh. realised, but you said I mate and um, da, 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 da. I was like, there you go. Kim just called me mate. Anyway, yeah, I think it's about but we we are mates. We, we are, are mates. Friends. Correct. I yeah. will call you darling more than I call you anything else, probably. Hey, has yeah. anyone ever called you JJ? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Just, yeah. Yeah. Not a lot. I address you by your full title when I use your name. Julian Jones, makeup artist extraordinaire, right? Yes. Multi-hyphenate. Yes. Um, but oh, I'd never see you as a JJ. Listen, Jody, yeah, Jody, Jody J. Hill. All of the J's messaged me the other day and she wrote g'day the original jj how are you going oh there you go but she's a jj jody j hill is a comedian if anybody is is she's hilarious she is i know um so now i was gonna i was gonna ask you a question about your performing in the uk and where (laughs) if i'm coming to the uk from australia and i want to see you perform in a venue are you there (laughs) where can we find you for you julian julian i will hire the coliseum or like a small a a small a a west end venue to perform strongly for you it's gonna be a bit echoey So you're not doing, but, you, but you're not doing much live stand up at the moment. I am doing actually now. Well, I'm I'm getting back into it since I had COVID for two weeks and had to cancel gigs. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there are lots of little clubs in London, and that is where I am doing my gigs. Oh, I am also going to start my in, working on my Instagram, so I have more of a profile. Oh, um, yeah, again, familiar. inspired. By one of your guests, Karen Sutherland, yes. I en- uh, enrolled in her social media strategy course after hearing her speak and l- getting in touch with her. So, yes, yeah, and I will be because I am I am at uh, at that Kim Hope on Instagram. I was going to say know. because there's not a lot of um, uh, I, there's not a lot of vision of you. On, mm. out there and I enjoy yeah. I enjoy watching your short um, <laughs> prologue of yourself and it was enjoyable mm. but honestly like if, if people really want to get the effervescence of Kim Hope and my experience with Kim Hope you can check out her um, Instagram profile what is it that Kim Hope yeah do you want That's people to check I do out? have that YouTube channel which I will hopefully add more things too soon because oh, yes. I am videoing the gigs as I go along. Oh, so. good. Mm. That'll be great. Be a good way for me to catch up with you and see what you've been up to. Oh, honey, we're in touch now. Oh, You'll no. never oh, get away from, from me. me. Listen, it is, it's been a ridiculous one hour and plus minutes and it has been... You can edit, edit, <laughs> edit, edit. <laughs> <laughs> there's not much to edit, honey, and you know there's like another 30 questions here for you and it just makes me go, well, Kim Kim was so um, enjoyable and it was also fluid and the fact that you've listened to so many of my podcasts and you got so much from other guests like Rachel Vigor and her styling space, I can't believe you mm. even brought that up. But now oh. you're going to be stronger with your social media, Yeah. Lose the yes, Aussie, yes. lose the Aussie tall poppy syndrome. Yes. Oh, yes, because that's the thing, isn't it? Because that it's when all in there, it's impossible. Yeah. Who the hell? Who the heck am I? Who wants to see my face? I bet you had that with this podcast, didn't you? You yeah. were like, "Who wants to listen to me?" Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I did me. Well, and that's the thing, and I understand the essence behind it and where it's going and what I'm doing with it. So for me. 
I mm. understand the journey and I like that about it. It's mm. not really about, hey, look at me. I'm so fantastic. Mm. Mm, not really. I'm just challenging myself no. and I'm bringing in some of the best of the best of the best. Yeah, I think that's what you're, what is incredible about your podcast is that you are giving a platform to these extraordinary people who are just getting on with their lives, you know? Correct. Like they're not, yeah, and it, you've just opened, you've opened my mind and really made me miss Australia a lot. <gasps> we miss you. What is the, what's the likelihood of you returning home? Um, it's <laughs> good. I just. It's good. I just have to get over. Well, now I've had COVID and I know what it is. Yeah. Um, it's just that. It's just I had a real kind of thing about flying mm-hmm. all the way to Australia. Yeah. And then having contracting COVID, getting off the plane. My first visit would be, of course, to my mother in Queensland. Of course. And. Giving it to her, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, that, right? That's what I don't want. My mother is 70 years old and she's fit as a flea and she runs. She's started running at 70. Wow. To quote Ellen DeGeneres, we don't know where she is. But she started, like, she's a mad fitness fanatic. But that's she is crazy. also a 79-year-old woman who I'm deeply protective of and don't want to make ill. Yeah. But now I've had COVID and I'm kind of, feeling like okay i've got more of an idea of how to avoid it yeah i will be on a plane soon oh that'll Hopefully be wicked. the melbourne comedy festival next year i was gonna say do you think you'll be performing oh yeah i think a, a journey like that when i come to australia I, last time i came to australia was in 2019 was due to come back in 2020, but something happened and the plane stopped flying. Um, <laughs> yep. I don't know if you know about it. There was a thing. There was a thing. About, but, yeah, I just yep. – There was something. I don't know. Uh, and I did. I went to Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne <sighs> and did think I would love to come to – yeah, back for a longer period of time. My mother turns 80 next year in April, so that's a great – I'm coming over for that. Wow. And I thought, well, I'm in. if I'm in Australia, I'm going to look at – I say it now so it becomes a thing because I find that often if you say something, then yeah. you put your brain puts the wheels into motion. Great. So, it's yeah, I thought maybe come to Melbourne and do a, a little show or a few gigs or something. Oh, I'm coming. If, if they will have me at the comedy festival, that is. I'm sure they will, honey. Yeah. You know everyone there. Your lips to God's ears. You've just got to tell them you're coming and they're going to book you. <laughs> oh, I'm coming like, to Melbourne. Can you chuck me in that comedy festival thing? Sure. Oh, that Kim Hope. And that's why my Instagram well, That can be that. the name of the show. Oh, that oh, Kim Hope. That Kim Hope. <laughs> well, listen, and on that note, that Kim Hope, it is goodbye, but listen to me. Mm-hmm. I think I've really enjoyed what you get out of this and what you've given back to the audience and what you've given me tonight. And I really do hope we get a second episode in because we missed out. I've got like notes beyond ridiculousness from my researching you. I've asked you about three, three or four of those questions. So that's how easy this Mm -hmm. was. You should be so well, I've got, proud I've got notes too. I think I've covered most of them. My interview with Julian. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. Well, I'm I'm actually putting all of mine in a file because they, they do mean something to me and I am keeping them all. And you not, you are now part of my file and we have you digitally in the world and people can tune in and listen to you and remember what you're all about. And we really look forward to when you come to Melbourne and do your next performance. Love you so much. Love you too, Julian. Thank you so much just for the gift that is you. Thanks. And you too, honey, right back at you. And I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Kim, you want to say goodbye to everybody in Melbourne, Victoria? Goodbye, anyone who is listening and has made it this far. Do you want to do that? Yeah, that's right. And now, do you want to do an English version? Oh, thank you ever so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. It's been an utter privilege to speak to you and to. Mr. Julian Jones. 
Fantastic. And my American accent ain't that great. And I'm not going to put you on the spot either. <laughs> All right, my darling. Goodbye, everybody, and we'll speak soon.